0: This morning we're continuing our series for the season of Epiphany uh, entitled Let It Shine where we're walking through Luke's gospel and reflecting how Jesus continues to shine the light of God and how we as disciples are called to shine Christ's light. Our lesson today continues where we left off last week with Jesus reading from Isaiah and preaching in his home synagogue in Nazareth, saying that God has anointed him to bring good news to the poor, release to the captive, and inaugurating God's jubilee. Our lesson this morning shows how the people respond to this sermon and what this means for us today as disciples. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the fourth chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with the 21st verse. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you do in Capernaum. And he said to them, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them. And went on its way. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Tonight, most of us and many around the world will be tuning in to watch the Super Bowl. We're also uh, at the same time in the middle of college and pro basketball, hockey, golf, and very, very soon we'll be starting spring training in baseball. It's a, it's a big time of year in, in the sports world. Now, a major factor in most sports is the idea of having home field advantage, meaning the hosting team has the upper hand in a game because they'll be on familiar ground. They won't have to travel to the game or stay in the hotel the night before. But more than anything, home field advantage means the players know that the, that the fans of their team will be there in support. Their fans will be there cheering them on, will have their back. In college basketball, where I feel home field advantage is particularly powerful, this comes in the form of rowdy, yet also well-orchestrated student sections. Duke has the Cameron Crazies. Uh, My Michigan State Spartans have the Izzone. And there are many, many other teams with uh, similarly catchy names. But these student sections all do the same thing. They cheer on their team while also heckling their opponents. I'll admit it's not always the best of sportsmanship shown, or even the best of humanity on display in these events, but for better or for worse, this is part of the game. There is, however, one exception to this. There's one job where being on your home turf gives you a disadvantage, though, and that's with profits. This is where we meet Jesus today. Jesus has just given his inaugural address He's made his thesis statement, giving his mission statement uh, that he lifts from Isaiah, telling the world who he is and what he will do. Bring good news, proclaim release, freedom, bring about God's endless jubilee. So how does his hometown crowd respond to this pivotal message? Well, first, the response actually appears quite positive. Luke says that all spoke well of him and were amazed by his gracious words. But then the tide starts to turn. Someone shouts, Hey, isn't that Joseph's boy? Now, it's not really clear the tone of the person shouting the statement. There are a couple ways you could actually read it. You could read it as, Hey, isn't that Joseph's boy? With a tone of skepticism because after all, he is the son of a carpenter. It could also be read in the context of amazement. The same amazement Uh, and wonder that the crowd had right before this, as in, wow, is that really Joseph's boy? So you can read it in a couple of different ways. You can read it with skepticism, or you can read it with wonder. Either way, though, what's clear about this tide-turning statement is that this marks familiarity. Whoever says this names Jesus as one of them. They name that Jesus is on home turf. What Jesus says next affirms this as he says, Doubtless you will quote the proverb, Physician, heal thyself. When we hear the word proverb, we tend to think of the book of Proverbs, but you won't find this statement in there. The word translated here as proverb is, uh, in Greek, the word parabole, which pretty much every other time you see this word in the New Testament, it's translated as parable. Physician, heal yourself, was a common phrase in the ancient Near East, likely at first appearing in the Jewish Midrash or commentary, uh, Genesis Rabbah in the 4th or 5th century BC. But a similar phrase also appears in the ancient Greek tragedy, Prometheus Bound, which uh, was written around the same time. This phrase, in a way, even appears in the stories of of, uh, Aesop as well. So it's clear it was a common phrase, and it's one that evoked a sentiment of hypocrisy. As in, doctor, you better heal yourself before you try healing anyone else. After this, Jesus adds, and you'll say, do hear what you did in Capernaum. So here Jesus names what the people will do next after naming him as one of their own. The overall idea is that Jesus names and calls out uh, is that the people of Nazareth here want a sort of special dispensation from him. They want special treatment from Jesus, this prophet, because he's one of their own. It's as if they're saying, "Help us, help your own people before helping anyone else." They want Jesus and the good news he brings. They want this all to themselves as if they say, don't go on to Capernaum, stay here, be with us, help us. Then Jesus says the memorable line, no prophets accepted in their hometown. Unlike sports and prophecy, there's a hometown disadvantage. You could say also that rejection is an occupational hazard for prophets. He goes on to talk about two of the great prophets of Israel, Elijah and Elisha. Now they did much of their prophesying and healing to Gentiles, to people outside the bounds of Israel. Elijah only ministered to one one widow in Israel, and Elisha only healed one leper, Naaman the Syrian, in other words, the Gentile. Even these two giants of the Hebrew faith took the scope of their prophecy beyond the people of Israel. Luke narrates the community's thoughts here and how they transform from wonder and amazement to rage, anger. Here we see Jesus rejected by his own community, likely by many of his relatives and lifelong friends and acquaintances. This action connects Jesus with many of the other prophets of the Hebrew Bible, many of whom face rejection from their own people as well. We also know, too, that rejection is part of life. Here we see Jesus identify with us when we feel down and broken and rejected. So in this rage and rejection, the people run Jesus out of town. Luke says they run him to the brim of a hill, hoping to throw him off. But in an almost superhero-like way, Jesus just leisurely passes through them and moves on his way. There are a number of explanations or ways of thinking about this uh, kind of otherworldly action of Jesus. But to me, this shows that Luke's Jesus doesn't let this rejection get to him. It's as if he brushes it off. He doesn't even let the fear of being hurled off a cliff get to him because Luke's Jesus knows that he must go to Jerusalem where he will once again be rejected as he's condemned as a criminal and crucified. So often we tend to think of this story uh, as Jesus going home and simply being rejected by his own people. But the rejection doesn't happen because of his message it happens because he says that the good news he brings this release this freedom this jubilee that Jesus brings it isn't just for nazarenes or even just for the people of israel it's for all scholar peter gumbs notes that the people take offense not so much with what jesus claims about himself as with the claims that he makes about a god who is more than their own tribal deity Friends, so often, this seems to continue to happen today, where we consciously or more often subconsciously judge or try to limit who is and who is not beloved of God. The good news is that Jesus shines the light of a God who is always bigger, a God who is always greater than our own preconceptions and understanding. Jesus shines the light of a God whose promises in Christ are for everybody. They're not limited. They can't be bound. They can't be put in a box. God's jubilee promise in Christ cannot be bound to one people or perspective or ideology. No, this God is always bigger. This God is always more loving. This God is always greater than we can ever dream or hope. Jesus goes to Nazareth and shines the ever-expanding light of God, proclaiming good news and release from all that binds us and holds us back. But he's rejected by his hometown crowd as they throw shade on the good news. That the God he proclaims is... they, They try to throw shade on the good news that he brings... And that he proclaims that God is just too big and too loving to ever be limited or kept in a box. Jesus here shakes off this rejection and moves on. He not only moves on, but he continues to shine this light, even through the shade of rejection. Friends, we, all of us, we're all called to shine the light of Christ to all. Even when others throw shade and cast doubt. We shine this light of Christ when in our actions and in our words we reveal and we also bear witness to a God who is greater and more loving than we can ever imagine. This past week I watched a talk by a priest named Father Gregory Boyle, who you've heard me mention before in a sermon. Father Boyle is known for founding a ministry in LA named Homeboy Industries which provides education and employment to former gang members through its cafe uh, and thrift store, among other uh, small uh, um, businesses and organizations. Father Boyle shared a story of uh, a time when he was asked to attend a conference at his alma mater, and he was also invited to bring uh, one of his former gang members to speak with him as well. Boyle knew he had to invite Mario. Who was a former gang member that was covered in tattoos from head to toe, his arms to his cheeks, even his eyelids covered in tattoos. Boyle noted how when they arrived, uh, they walked around town at the at the uh, school. He noticed how people kept their distance from him and Mario because of his looks, and he thought this was funny because Mario is hands down known as the the friendliest. Most gentle person at Homeboy Industries. Later at the talk, Mario shares his story of transformation and then uh, takes questions from the audience. A person asked him about his two children and what advice he'd give to them as they are about to enter their teenage years, to which Mario struggles for a moment to find his voice. But eventually, through tears, he says, You know, I just don't want my kids to end up like me. The lady asking the question replied, I'm sorry, Mario, but why wouldn't you want your kids to end up like you? You're loving. You're kind. I hope your kids turn out to be like you. After this, the crowd stood cheering in agreement. Can you hear Jesus' sermon? The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. People like Father Boyle are shining this ever-expanding light of God, but so are people like Mario, And so are people like the woman affirming Mario as a beloved child of God. In our own way, each of us can, and each of us are called to shine this light. In a world of darkness and division, may we go as Christ's disciples, shining the light of a God who is always greater. A God who is greater than our fears, our preconceptions, our prejudices, and seeks to set us free from these things, all of these things that bind us and separate us. May we shine this light of God in Christ, that all may know we are loved, that we belong to one another, that we belong to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.